You're listening to the Valley Labor Report with Adam Keller and Jacob Morrison. The time has come for America to hear the truth. We are going to stand with them, and not only are we going to fight for their rights, but we're going to stand up for our rights here in our state, in our homes, and in our community. United States of America is not going to be decided in the courts. It's not going to be decided in Congress. It's not going to be decided on talk radio, and it sure is not going to be decided on Fox News. Tennessee Valley. This is the Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison here with my co-host and fellow agitator Adam Keller. We are broadcasting live to tape online and on the radio from the heart of the Tennessee Valley, the Spice Radio Studios in Huntsville, Alabama. Today we are talking a year in review in labor, uh, in the Valley Labor Report. What did we do uh, this last year? We're going to be talking about some losses for the labor movement in 2021. And of course, we will be bringing you our regular segment last week in Southern Labor. Uh, But first, if you want to be part of the program today, we've got a phone number. That phone number is 844-899-TVLR. That's 844-899-8857. You can call or text us at that phone number. We may or may not bring you on the air. And you can leave a voicemail anytime, whether we are live or not. So uh, if you get to thinking about the show during the week and you want to send us a voicemail, you've got a good uh, bad boss story, a good organizing win, or just a question that you'd like to see us answer on the radio, you can give us a call and leave us a voicemail anytime, day or night, Two in the morning or three in the afternoon, you can leave a voicemail because it's not going to wake us up. I promise. 844-899-TVLR, 844-899-8857 is that phone number. Um, If you haven't gotten enough of us by the time that we wrap here on the radio, or if you just want to see what we're up to throughout the week, you can find us anywhere and everywhere online. We are on Twitter, we're on Facebook, we are on YouTube, all at The Valley Labor Report. And of course, your support and the support of our sponsors keeps us on the air. So if you want to become a sustaining member of the program or make a one-time donation to our December fundraiser, you can go to unionly.io. I-O slash O slash T-V-L-R. That is unionly.io slash O slash T-V-L-R. Uh, you can find that link on all of our social media and all that good stuff as well. And if you're a member of a union, you should get your local to sponsor the show. You can reach out to us on Twitter, Facebook, anywhere like that for more details on that. Uh, so this is our last show of 2021. Uh, We're actually broadcasting live on Tuesday, December the 28th. If you're listening to us on Saturday, when the recording of this show uh, is going to air in Huntsville, 
then it'll be the first show of 2022, actually. Uh, but this is going to be kind of, you know, uh, the year in review, as you can see, if you watch us on Facebook or YouTube, I've got my big New Year ball here uh, in the video. Uh, so, you know, we're going to be talking about the year in review, going to be talking about what to expect in the new year and things like that during this show. So uh, if you've got any anything that you want to add, of course, you can call us. Um, so, you know, 2021 is going to be in the rearview mirror very soon. Uh, so we wanted to take that time to review the year. And uh, lucky for us, Labor Notes has already done a lot of that grunt work for us. Uh, from their website, Labor Notes is a media and organizing project that has been the voice for union activists who want to put the movement back in the labor movement since 1979. They have done a lot of good work in that time, and you should support them. If you go to labornotes.org slash donate and select the Donate Monthly button for just $10 a month, uh, you can get a nice union-made Labor Notes t-shirt and a subscription to their magazine, which I have a script, uh, subscription to and I have actually written in. So you should uh, you should definitely check that out. It's really, really great work. Highly recommend it. Yeah, if, if you are interested in unions at all, either as a member or just a supporter, uh, if I could recommend one outlet for you to follow, it would probably be Labor Notes. Not just with the really great reporting they do on the labor movement, but the amount of resources they have mm -hmm. available that are, you know, training oriented. Yes. And they hold their own trainings. Uh, you and I and, and uh, co-founder of the show, David Story, mm -hmm. we attended a Labor Notes training. Uh, I think that's actually where organizing. I'm. I think that's actually where I met you. Is no, 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 no. no we we met through yeah. politics, you know, before then. Right, but that's right. when we really uh, got a chance to talk union, and mm -hmm. um, it, that was a great opportunity. They visited the Adelante Worker Center down mm -hmm. in the Birmingham mm -hmm. area, and that's what they do. Uh, and I think uh, the Labor Notes conference coming up. Uh, in 2022 in Chicago, there were... I'm sure we'll be there. Yeah. I, I think so. Uh, and hopefully some of our listeners can join us. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's really good. And there, I just finished one of their books, um, uh, Democracy is Power by Mike Parker and somebody else. Highly recommend it. It's very good stuff. I mean, the, uh, the reporting has been, of course extremely good Jonah Furman uh, is a, a staff writer for labor notes and his his writing on the John Deere strike was basically the foundation for if you read anything about the John Deere strike from any publication basically Jonah Furman was the original source for it more or less I mean he got uh, interviews on uh, huge national media outlets um, and then of course their resources like uh, uh, like Adam said the training um, the books the they've got a really good um, stewards toolbox a book uh, a book there some stewards training some organizer I mean just just a really fantastic outfit you should definitely at least if you're not if you don't have the money or, or, or you're not interested in like financially supporting it you should be following their work for sure yeah follow them on social that. media and subscribe to their email newsletter because yes. just that alone is, is worth a lot so uh, let's take a look back with some of their help. Alexandra Bradbury has an article out now on the site called 2021 Year in Review, The Only Way Out is Through, where she takes a look at some of the big stories that happened in 2021, and a lot happened. <laughs> uh, the big story 
at the beginning of the year was, of course, the Amazon campaign. Um, and that was uh, and, and that's that's really probably the biggest story in labor for the whole year. I don't think that any single story has really captured the national. I mean, there was God, there was a New York Times election watch page for the Amazon campaign. I don't yeah. I don't think that there there has there, I think that I can't remember anything like that. Yeah, that was wild. Absolutely wild. So, uh it's very unfortunate, but the biggest story of the year was a loss for uh working people and that was the Amazon campaign in Bessemer, Alabama where of course uh you know Amazon broke the law and didn't break the law but uh, uh you know performed unethically uh, um uh you know unethically tried to bust the union but in ways that are unfortunately legal um in our broken <laughs> system of labor laws in this country but uh, uh but uh, the NLRB, the National Labor Relations Board, has actually overturned that election. They have set that election to the side and said that Amazon's union busting was so flagrant and so illegal that it was impossible to have a free and fair election in that environment. So they set aside the results of that election, and uh, there's going to be a rerun in 2022 in the spring so that's very exciting and actually our labor council in north alabama i don't know if i've even told you about this adam i don't i don't know why i haven't but but our labor council in north alabama voted at our december meeting to once a month beginning in january send down a caravan of union members to make house calls with the retail, wholesale, and department store union to support the organizing campaign. That is fantastic. So I'm very excited about that. And one of my projects in the first half of January as part of the Labor Council is to get other Labor Councils on board with this project. I'll be reaching out to folks in Muscle Shoals in West Alabama, Central Alabama, in the Wiregrass and the Southern region to try to see if we can get, uh, if we can get, you know, 40 or 50 union folks from across the state there once a month to support this campaign. Because really, I mean, frankly, we should be doing more than that. But that's, you know, uh, I, that would be a more coordinated effort for an organizing campaign than we've seen out of <laughs> the labor movement in Alabama for a long time. So, yeah, uh, it's, you got to start somewhere. Got to start that's somewhere. And really I think, fantastic. Yeah, I'm very excited about it. And I am for the show. I've talked to the lead organizer on that campaign, Adam Obernauer. He was the. Um, he was the he 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 was the lead organizer for the phone banking effort. He wasn't the lead organizer of the campaign last time. He he led the phone banking effort. He's the lead organizer for the whole campaign this time. I spoke to him, and and I, I'm gonna actually I believe I will be able to stay down there for almost a week or something with them. Um, for for the show to help them out personally, but uh, but to get some interviews for the show and just to learn more about you know uh, what the day to day operations of the campaign. So anyway, rambled for a bit on that one story, but that was that was huge. It was and very sad, but some exciting news. And, um, and to just wrap it up there to say you know we have to start somewhere in terms of the volunteer mm-hmm, efforts, mm-hmm. but I would say you know the ruling by the NLRB was a step in the right direction. Right. Um, yes, it was flagrant, but that doesn't necessarily mean the labor board's going to see it that way. Right. So uh, that's also a step in the right direction, regardless of ultimately what happens with the redo. 
Also kicking off at the start of the year was the St. Vincent Nurses Strike, which just came to a resolution within the past couple of weeks. Uh, and that was a that was a eight month long nurses strike, the longest strike in either either it was the longest strike or the longest nurses strike in Massachusetts state history and uh, they were able to get the things that they were asking for so that's fantastic of course starting off the year in April we had the warrior met strike began on April the 1st that is still going on uh, and we'll be looking for a resolution to that in 2022 uh, but summer and fall is really when the the action kind it, it, it's like really when it kicked into high gear and we started getting the the striketober type of means we had three different BCTGM strikes all right in a row the bakers confectionery uh, tobacco workers and grain millers union BCTGM they struck Frito Lay. They struck Nabisco and they struck Kellogg's. All of those strikes are now over with more or less fine results. They were not resounding wins, as we have talked about on the show. We've talked about all of these strikes on the show, talked about all of their resolutions on the show, and all of them had, you know, some some good and some bad, as happens in the real world, but uh, very valiant effort. And in fact, one of the uh, leaders of the Kellogg strike, uh, president of a local union, Trevor Beidelman, said he's very dis- you know of course he's disappointed that they accepted the contract but he was so proud of the effort that his fellow workers put in on the strike and 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 that's the sentiment that we have here um and and of course also volvo involved how many thousands of workers in virginia very similar results they got some improvements but it, it wasn't everything that they asked for um and we are going to be uh y- you know uh, we're going to be looking for them to build on that success in the future all of this stuff was buoyed by a tight labor market that even gave non-union workers some uh, some amount of confidence in the quote-unquote great resignation um and 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 the the best example of that was uh, John Deere. I think we saw some uh, some interviews from John Deere strikers who were like, "I can go get a job part time uh, right now." You know, like <laughs> I don't like they're not going to be they can't replace us right now. Uh, and and so that was that has really helped workers, uh, you know, justify actually going out on strike and finding the boss. And so that that's a really good thing to see. Uh, tight labor markets are very good for working people. Yeah. And I think it's uh, easy to overlook sometimes how much of a massive disruption COVID was to the labor mm-hmm. market. Uh, and, and we mentioned on the show recently when we talked more about COVID that in many other countries, you know, paychecks were subsidized by the state. Uh, folks maintain their jobs, maintain their paychecks. Mm-hmm. So while they were in much more of a, a stricter lockdown, generally, they also, you know, the employment market stayed a lot more stable. Right. We didn't do that here. So we had right. massive layoffs in industry after industry only for the economy to start picking back up. And, you know, immediate needs to restaff quickly, um, which, you know, has been such a disruption for good and bad. Uh, and, mm-hmm. and I think in this case, uh, it has provided a little bit more leverage than we as working people have had in quite a while. So right. uh, you, you pair that with the admittedly pretty meager stimulus benefits uh, mm-hmm. that we've had in this country. And 
uh, and you've had some folks feeling emboldened to to quit a crappy job right. or to demand a pay raise at their crappy job or in these cases uh, band together to go on strike uh, feeling that they have a little bit of momentum behind them and, mm-hmm. and so I think that's one of the stories of the year is just this momentum that we hope just continues you know continues pushing through to 2022 nowhere has the great resignation quote unquote this tight labor market been more apparent than in the service sector which is where mm-hmm. we've really been been seeing all of these um, you know all these pictures about you know uh, <laughs> subway workers all quitting and leaving a note that said like yeah. F this you know I'm done <laughs> dollar general <laughs> yeah uh, there's been organizing um, at dollar generals right of all right places. and well and that's there have been actually among service sector workers uh, the 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 quit rates have been historic month after month after month we've seen record quit rates um, which is a you know that's uh, but the organizing is actually where actually forming unions is where you're going to get long term gain and uh, and we have seen that although of course it's been very small in comparison to you know the broader service sector how many people work in the service sector but uh, the Starbucks union drive is just absolutely firing off last week it was announced that uh, there was an organizing drive at a Knox uh, Knoxville Tennessee uh, Starbucks filed for an election so I mean this is uh, and, and then of course Burgerville workers won their first contract uh, uh, which is the first fast food union contract in the United States outside of like airports and things like this um, so so that's very exciting they're represented by the industrial workers of the world uh, of which, uh, which is a union that both Adam and I are members of teachers were surprisingly quiet this year though which is something Adam I wonder if you have anything to say about that because that that's something that I didn't really notice you know in the moment you know day to day I didn't oh teachers are quiet that's weird but uh, but looking back it's definitely apparent and it's especially weird considering the decade or so long period that we've seen of labor upswing could arguably be traced back to a Chicago teacher strike in, in what 2012 2014 yeah, 2012 um, and Teachers in Scranton, Pennsylvania, I think, were basically the only people to actually go out on strike. They struck for 12 days. Um, so uh, what is your take on teachers being so quiet this year? You were, uh, at, for people that don't know, Adam was a former educator, a history teacher, and a teachers union staffer. So, Yeah, I think some of that is just kind of exhaustion from the massive battles of 2020. And I think mm-hmm. that's that's my gut instinct on this. I don't have any, you know, real analysis or information to, you know, to quantify that with. But that's my my just gut instinct. And, and from having conversations with educators, I think there was just they were so burnt out from the many battles of 2020, especially around covid mm-hmm. that got, you know, incredibly messy that went beyond just employee employer issues, you know, as we all know, uh, with, uh, you know, right-wing media and uh, astroturfed parent groups and, and everything under the sun kind of uh, all colliding into public schools. Mm-hmm. You know, you throw in the critical race theory, uh, manufactured outrage there. And so uh, I think educators have just been through a lot. I don't I don't think this is a trend, though. I think the mm-hmm. trend is what you said, uh, 
you know, the big Chicago Teachers Union strike in 2012. And, uh, you know, I've shared on here before, that's one of the things that got me involved in the movement. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've spoken with uh, Kenzo Shibata, one of the uh, militant leaders up in Chicago, the caucus of rank and file educators. And I think, uh, you know, what they built there and their organizing uh, that has spread across the country, I don't see that letting up. Mm. And in fact, I think uh, I think it's going to heat back up quite a bit this year because of what I mentioned, the political and cultural debates that have sort of, um, you know, infested the schools, mm-hmm. um, I think are going to play out big in the elections of 2022. Mm. And so I would not be surprised to see a lot more privatization and kind of a return to some of those uh, anti-public school attacks. Right. Um, you know, a lot of deja vu from you know, a decade ago. I would, at least here in Alabama, I'd be surprised if we see anything that aggressive here at the end of the quadrennium, but I would not be surprised if we see something like that after the elections in 2022, which is something for teachers to look out for. On the other hand, bus drivers had a very interesting year. By October, Bradbury noted in her article that the labor action tracker at Cornell University had already documented 10 Six ah, they had already documented ten sick outs, ten sick outs for this school year. And we know there's October. more than that, yeah, because uh, we just talked about one last week in South Carolina, right? Um, and the labor action tracker at Cornell University is a really really cool thing. Uh, if you're, you know, a union nerd uh, like mm-hmm. us, and you really like to follow uh, and get the hard data, and you know, pull up a map and see where everything's popping off, uh, right. recommend that for sure. It was a huge year for union reformers, though. I mean, unquestionably, like there's been there's a lot of stuff that's like, okay, this is good, this is bad, but union reformers they just had like a banner year. Like (laughs) basically, it was all good for union reformer people. Uh, With a slate backed by the Teamsters for a Democratic Union, winning overwhelmingly with the largest margins coming out of the South, including an absolutely insane. 94% of the vote out of the Teamsters Local 402 in Muscle Shoals. Wow, that is huge. And in the UAW, a referendum on whether or not to elect top officers by referendum resulted in, yes, union auto workers do value democracy and they would like to choose their president. Imagine that. So this is an initiative that was backed by a UAW group called Unite All Workers for Democracy. And that also won big. I believe the final margins was 65-35 or was it 70-30? Something like that. It was huge. More than two to one. Uh, So just great, great results for a more democratic union. Uh, <laughs> Absolutely. In the UAW and the Teamsters. Um, uh, and so, b- more broadly, though, you know, while this was definitely a banner year for labor in modern terms, it's nothing like labor is still a shell of its former uh, of its former self. It's nothing like the heyday of organized labor. And in fact. The number of workers on strike in the U.S. this year is lower than in any year from 1930 to 1980. Lower than any year during that time period. So that should, you know, there uh, certainly, 
you know, there, there, there's been an upswing, but that, that should sober us a little bit. And Nelson Lichtenstein noted something similar. He's a labor historian. In a piece that he wrote uh, for on the so-called strike wave for Descent magazine. He throw uh, he threw a bit of cold water on the cheerleading, noting that in 1979, there were 235 work stoppages involving 1,000 or more workers. So far this year, we have seen just 12. And he wrote that in October. Yeah. Right. So that's... It does put it in context. And, and that is one of the big things, is that even as we've seen this resurgence... Um, we're still not seeing the the large strikes, right. as he's mentioning there, because, um, you know, we pretty much named most of them already, yeah. <laughs> uh, which would have been very difficult to do uh, 50 years ago to exactly. just name them off the top of your head. Right. Uh, so even though and it's great to see the push in a lot of the smaller places. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, that's something that uh, I hope folks t- take away from, you know, a lot of the reporting we do on the show that. Even if there's only a dozen people in your workplace, you can still organize, you can still right. build a union, you can still go on strike. Uh, but the massive labor actions that used to be such a staple in, in our economy right. uh, are that still— That you really do need to kind of shape society. Right, right, absolutely. So, um, again, hopefully we're, we're moving in the right direction. Uh, and this does tie into the general strike talk stuff as well. Uh, you know, I don't know if you remember that or not. Probably not because it didn't really happen. <laughs> but supposedly there were people online, that, you know, there's your problem, uh, that were wanting to organize a general strike on October 15th. And, you know, of course, you don't know about it. I only know about it because I'm a weirdo. <laughs> and it, it didn't happen because, as Lichtenstein points out, And I'm going to quote this at length. Uh, Non-union workers, no matter how aggrieved, do not go on strike. They can quit their job. They might even walk out together for a shift or two. But in the absence of some independent organization, almost always a trade union, their protest soon dissolves. Virtually every strike in today's headlines, from that of the agricultural implement workers in Iowa to coal miners in Alabama and studio crews in Hollywood, they're all members of unions that were formed almost 80 years ago in the Great Depression. It does not matter if the union was once radical or conservative, organization is essential to any sustained and potent worker protest. And once the strike is over, that same organization does not fade away. It stays right where it is, in management's face, policing the contract, mobilizing the workers, lobbying politicians, and preparing for the next contract fight. And that is the key there. What we saw last year in the good can be a taste of what is to come, but only if we organize and we organize millions of more workers into unions in their workplaces. Absolutely. I really like that that quote. Yeah, Nelson Lichtenstein uh, does very good work. Highly recommend following his work as well. Um, And in that vein, because organized workers are the only ones who can go on strike, let's see what contracts are up in 2022. Dan DiMaggio has a summary up on Labor Notes titled, Who Might Strike in 2022? Hundreds of contracts will be up, and the title does not disappoint. Uh, You know, if there were, I mean, there's huge potential. There's huge potential. There are contracts that are expiring, collective bargaining agreements that are expiring, that cover 1.3 million workers. 
nearly 200 large union contracts that cover at least 1,000 workers up up in uh, they are up in 2022 from telecom to grocery from longshore to bakers from oil to teachers huge amounts of our economy is going to be up for a potential strike and it's up to of course the union members to make that happen so we're going to talk about that on the other side of this break and then we'll be talking to you about uh, some of the losses in the labor movement some of the stuff that we've done in the last year and then of course last week in southern labor and we're going to go up to a break and we will be right back you're listening to the valley labor report with david story and jacob morrison Support for this program also comes from the Iron Workers, Local 477. So if you are looking for contractors with lower than average EMR and TRIR, uh, they tell me that if you need to know what those mean, then you will. Uh, or if you need to supplement a workforce at any level for any amount of time, short or long term, if you need iron workers that come trained and certified at no extra cost, or if you need workers from superintendent down to general laborer, and you're looking to start work on a project or you're unhappy with your current contractor situation, you need to call my friend Jeb Miles with the Ironworkers Local 477. They only work with the best in the business, vetted contractors, and can do all kinds of jobs from roofing to steel and bridge erection, from welding to heavy rigging, from structural repairs to machinery alignment, and much more. They supply manpower on four of the five largest projects in North Alabama, so you know they're legit. If you need good quality, safe, efficient, diligent, and knowledgeable workers on your job, then you need the Iron Workers Local 477. Call Jeb Miles at 256-383-3334 or via email at local477 at bellsouth.net and make sure you tell them that you heard about them on the Valley Labor Report. Work sucks, we know. But you can make it better by organizing with your fellow workers. For more information, call or text the Huntsville Industrial Workers of the World at 256-651-6707. Support for the Valley Labor Report comes from the International Federation of Professional and Technical Engineers Union. Learn more by visiting www.ifpte.org. Support for this program comes from the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 136, out of Central Alabama. Learn more at IBEW136.org. The attorneys of Maples, Tucker, and Jacobs are proud to represent working people in Alabama and across the Southeast. They have over 100 years of experience representing injured workers in workers' compensation, personal injury, and disability claims. Let their attorneys help you when you get injured on the job. You can find them at www.mtandj.com or 855 617 9333. Let Maples, Tucker, and Jacobs help you when you get injured on the job. Again, the website is www.mtandj.com or the phone number 855 617 9333. No representation is made that the quality of legal services is greater than the quality of legal services from other law firms. There's a lot of talk about a shortage of workers, but that's not the case with IBW558. We have provided our customers over 3,000 workers and performed over 3 million man hours in a pandemic year. 
With 8,000 OJT hours, 900 classroom hours, OSHA 30, and a state license, our members receive the equivalent of a master's degree. That's what makes IBW558 the right choice for your electrical needs. Look us up at Facebook or at IBW558.org. North Alabama DSA is looking for folks to work for a better North Alabama. They prioritize mutual aid, municipal activism, and union solidarity. Contact them on social media or DSANorthAlabama at Gmail for more information. IBW558 is like a great football team. You've got to have the aptitude, skills, and knowledge to outperform the competition. If you're a non-union electrician, now is the perfect time to get off the sideline and join our team. We have the absolute best wages and benefit package in North Alabama and Southern Tennessee. It's because our team stands together, bargains together, and our families benefit from it. With immediate openings, you have the opportunity to see why the IBW is the right choice. The Valley Labor Report. Labor creates all wealth. All wealth should go to labor. My name is Jacob Morrison. You are listening to the Valley Labor Report, and we are back. We've been talking about the year in review, and now we are talking about the year in preview for 2022. I mentioned that nearly 200 large union contracts that cover at least 1,000 workers are up. They expire in 2022, uh, opening them up for a strike cover 1.3 million workers uh so just a couple highlights there a coalition of several food and commercial workers ufcw locals plus one teamsters local in california washington and colorado is coordinating actions and demands on contracts for 100,000 grocery workers at Kroger and Albertsons and affiliated change, which expire over the next several months. Wow. That's a lot. That is a lot of people. (laughs) Uh, The Longshore ILWU contract with the Pacific Maritime Association covering 22,000 dock workers in Washington, Oregon, and California expires on July the 1st, uh, and that is something to watch, especially, um, you know, with all these issues about the supply chain, et cetera, et cetera. You can listen to our talk with Zach Patton, an ILWU member, member, to learn more about that. Uh, And speaking of Topeka, which when I read this, this was interesting, Uh, the agreement covering the Frito-Lay plant there, where workers struck last summer, as we mentioned, over 84-hour work weeks. That expires in September, apparently. Um, Also expiring in 2022 is the other bakery contract at Frito-Lay in Vancouver, Washington. So we could be looking at another Frito-Lay strike in 2022. Uh there, there are large expiring contracts in, in the education sector that cover 268,000 workers. Of note are two California locals that struck in 2019, 34,000 teachers in Los Angeles, and 3,000 in Oakland. The largest K-12 educators contract covering 120,000 teachers and school staff in New York City also expires in September. 
Uh, so, you know, we said that 2021 was a very sleepy year for educators and 2022 has the, uh, there's definitely the option that 2022 is not a sleepy right. year for educators. And, and in all three of those locals, there are very robust, uh, internal reform movements. Mm -hmm. uh, there is the movement of rank and file educators more in New York City, uh, which I know has been doing a lot of organizing, e sometimes even uh, having to go around uh, the official union leadership there. And of course, LA had a, a very successful strike in 2019. Mm -hmm. uh, they were very, uh, very organized coming into the pandemic and, and the impacts on schools there. So yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's going to be interesting to see how those play out and if there's any ripple effects uh, across the country. Yeah, yeah. And uh, finally, for 2022, looking ahead, uh, there have been, of course, recent waves of organizing by journalists and museum workers, and that means these workers are going to be fighting for their first contract. So we could ultimately uh, end up seeing strikes from these. Uh, for refusals to bargain by the company. That's what we saw at the New Yorker magazine. Uh, they organized in 2018, 2019, something like that. And it took them three years to bargain the first contract, and the worker only uh, finally relented after a credible strike threat. So uh, it may take that going forward for a lot of these people who just want a union. And that's the thing is, you know, Union's not like a magic word, right? Uh, you know, when you get a union, if you become a union, um, and and you win an election, like everything's not everything's not great overnight. Like you gotta like like you gotta fight for it. You gotta actually, you know, win that first contract that does codify those gains that you're looking for. And getting that first contract is not easy. So. Right. And then you have to enforce the contract. Mm -hmm. You have to organize internally to build for the next contract. So it's it's certainly a never ending cycle. Right. And it's easy, especially when we're talking about high profile elections. Uh, you know, you mentioned with Amazon earlier, uh, it's easy to fixate on the election part and not everything that comes after and before, uh, which is, right. you know, the really hard stuff. Yeah. Yep. Uh, so let's go to. A year in review of the show. We'll hit this really quick since we're running out of time just a little bit. Um, we did we did a lot <laughs> this year. Right. I, I think the the thing that the thing that I will always be most proud of for the show, unless we do something on a similar scale, is definitely, definitely the Strike Fest in May, where we stayed up for 48 hours, did a live stream, and raised $75,000 for the Strike Fund for our sisters and brothers on strike uh, in Brookwood, Alabama, against Warrior Met Cole. Uh, raised a lot of money. We got that issue in the Rolling Stone, of all places. Uh, we did a concert with Lee Baines. We heard stand-up from... Drew uh, 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 Morgan. Yeah, yeah. Drew Morgan and DJ Lewis. Yeah. And got to talk to so many cool people. Uh, so that was that was definitely a lot of fun. Uh, we did 
a couple uh, we guest hosted a couple of working people podcast episodes about the strike uh, which you should go back and listen to because a lot of it is still relevant as the strike is still going <laughs> uh, we talked to people on the ground we talked to people uh, miners on strike we talked to their families their children and I talked to Kim Kelly for working people about covering the strike everybody knows that Kim Kelly has been basically um, one of the only journalists talking about this strike on a consistent basis um, and so I talked to her about what that was like for working people. So lots of good things there. And working people is a great podcast that you should listen to anyway. Absolutely. Um, I had an article in labor notes and Jacobin that was dual published, uh, talking about how conservatives, uh, love coal until it comes to actually supporting the, <laughs> the workers in the coal industry. Mm-hmm. And they don't love it so much. Um, I was in, in these times talking about how, right-wingers will scapegoat immigrants and there i had another article i think i had two and in these times oh yeah i had a dispatch from the picket line one of the times when the mine workers actually blocked scabs from crossing the picket line which was very cool very cool david's story recently pretty recently had an article in the nation talking about how uh, how the defense industry is not actually good for working people even though it pays many of our paychecks uh you know even myself and and david included although the work that we do while it's in broadly the defense industry you know i think it's about the, the stuff that we do could be done outside of that outside of that uh uh area and talking about the need to transition all of, i mean there's so much talent in huntsville is wasted on making bombs that'll either never be used or that are going to go murder poor brown people like so much i, I mean just and so he, he had an article talking about that how how much better it would be to use that talent, that time, and those resources on actually improving our lives and improving this country and even improving other countries. Yeah, and uh, the name of that article is I'm a Defense Industry Worker. It's time to cut the Pentagon budget. Yes. Uh, Definitely recommend folks check that out. Um, For those of you who maybe are just now tuning in, uh, David Story, of course, co-founded this show with Jacob. Um, He sort of stepped back this summer, and that's when I came in to, you know, try poorly to fill his shoes. Um, You do a great job. So David has, you know, I know been focusing on his union. Um, He has his hands full as a local president out there, uh, indicator uh, with the machinist union. But... um, you know, so David has done some some great work and still continues to do great work uh, for the show behind the scenes on top of everything else he's doing. So, you know, shout out to David and uh, appreciate uh, everything he did to get this mm-hmm. show going. And, um, you know, I've been glad to be part of this transition in 2021. Yeah. Uh, I spoke to the Birmingham DSA about strikes. Um, and we're all, we're available to talk to your organization or your 
whatever if you would like to talk about union stuff i talk i talked about strikes and how um you know how they actually happen why they're important and why they're not the first weapon that workers use <laughs> and why you don't just throw up uh a uh, a post on facebook and say i'm calling general strike it's like oh man i just realized i just thought about that connection uh what what was it uh uh was it Michael Scott saying, like, I declare bankruptcy or something? <laughs> like, that's not how that works. That's not how striking works. That's not how striking works. Um, we talked to some university students in the Northeast about unions. Um, Adam was on a Connecting Humanity education panel, uh, and he spoke at a virtual voting rights march. Um, me and David were on the Trillbillies podcast. I think we've been on, we've been on Left Reckoning a few times, all things to check out, um, all places you should be following anyway. And of course, on our own, on our own, uh, uh pages, YouTube pages and our, our podcasts, we, we had some cool stuff. Uh, we have of course done some in-depth coverage of the UMWA strike, uh, including the violence on the picket lines, which is something that is really amazing that, that, uh, <laughs> the, you know, I mean, these, these, the, there have been actually people on that picket line that have been shot at and, uh, some of these local news outlets have the gall to run union violence stories after having almost been run over by a freaking scab. I mean, holy crap. Uh, so, you know, we talked about that. Um, we did in-depth coverage of the RWDSU campaign at Amazon in Bessemer, including interviews with workers, organizers. Uh, we were in the Union Hall, did a live show from the Union Hall in February. Yeah, uh, you and David were out there in the freezing cold rain. Yes, uh, The day of that, that big rally. Oh, uh, man, that was And, terrible. you know, it was amazing. <laughs> David uh, thought he was going to lose his feet. Yeah, um... <laughs> Yeah, I don't think any of us were really quite prepared for that or dressed yeah, for it, terrible. but uh, it was pretty cool to see that many people come out, even despite, you know, the mm -hmm. awful elements. We did a whole series on the IWW talking about what the IWW is doing today, the Industrial Workers of the World. We talked to people who were organizing with the IWW from all across the country, um, and we talked to some people in the uh, veteran elected positions in the IWW internationally. Uh, we talked to a few academics, including Dr. Chuck Keeney, about the Battle of Blair Mountain, and Dr. Robin D.G. Kelly about the radical history of Alabama, which is, what? Radical history in Alabama? What do you mean? Radical that was, history of Alabama. That was a really, really oh, great man. interview. and I um, loved that. That was um, so cool. Yeah, definitely a, a, a major influence on many of us mm -hmm. who uh, either study history or study the labor movement, so yeah. the fact that... Um, you got a chance to sit down and talk with him, and and the fact that he was willing to uh, come on a little show called the Valley right. Labor Report in North Alabama uh, speaks speak very highly of him, yes. and uh, highly highly recommend you check that out if you missed it back in the spring. Yeah, check out that interview. Read his book Hammer and Ho. Uh, you know the history of Alabama. Really interesting. So a lot um, more nuance than you may uh, be yes. led to believe. 
We did some big breakdowns on the PRO Act with some help from a labor lawyer, Brandon Magner. Um, And we talked about organizing in industries ranging from manufacturing to academia to farms um, and covered some less traditional organizing like nonprofits, media outlets, and among union employees. What? Unions have employees? Yes, unions have employees. And uh, yes, oftentimes unions abuse their employees, which is insane to me, but it happens. And so uh, the employees of unions have to form unions. And 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 uh, we covered some of that. We talked about, uh, we did a lot of educational segments talking about, especially with help from Connor Lewis and David Story, about how to form a union, how contracts are negotiated, how trade union apprenticeships work, along with some responses to anti-union arguments. We talked to journalists, including Maximilian Alvarez, Kim Kelly, and uh, others from outlets, including In These Times, Jacobin Magazine, The Appeal, and Labor Notes about the things that they were covering. Uh, We did a few discussions on union reform, including interviews with activists from Teamsters for a Democratic Union and uh, the Unite All Workers for Democracy. Uh, And we did some local coverage as well, including um, covering issues that either were totally not being talked about or were being talked about in a really stupid way (laughs) in the media, Um, uh, like interviews with local activists and covering issues uh, ranging from criminal justice to public education. So lots of stuff. We did a lot of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, we can, all three of us can be proud of what 2021 uh, has brought with this show. Uh, When you put it all out there, I mean, it's, it's pretty impressive, honestly. Uh, you know, this is just a ragtag operation. Yeah. Uh, mostly, you know, your brainchild and David's. And, um, you know, I'm very impressed with what we've been able to accomplish thus far. And I really hope that, you know, this content that's out there is helpful to people. It's hopefully interesting to people, entertaining. Uh, but I, I really... Uh, I'm proud that we've been able to elevate some labor discussion into the media landscape here uh, in North Alabama. Uh, Really appreciate all the folks who are tuning in, those loyal listeners, uh, subscribers, you know, however you may be supporting Mm -hmm. the show um, financially or otherwise. It's uh, it means a lot. And, um, you know, I think. You know, for me, the reason I'm interested in coming on this show and, and helping out is because there is such a deficit uh, in our media landscape and talking about working class people, uh, talking with working class people and the issues we face and the organizing that we do and we have to do to overcome right. those issues. And so um, I think it's really cool that the Valley Labor Report in our own little small way can can make a difference in that way. Yeah. 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 And so, you know, that's a lot of stuff. Uh, If you are, I know that there are a lot of uh, radio programs, uh, um, podcasts that are taking a break over the holidays uh, through to the new year. And so if you're looking for some content, something to listen to while you listen to uh, or, or while you do the dishes or yeah, you're on absolutely. your way to work, you know, we've got to, we do have uh, for, you know, 
been on the radio for a year and a half, so we've got a lot of stuff in the uh, that that you can be listening to while you're waiting for your uh, regularly scheduled podcast selection to get started up in earnest again. And if you you know if you got some tra- uh, tra- driving time, some travel coming up. Um, you know, that's a great time that for me personally, that's, you know, I, I'm mm-hmm. a father. Um, it's hard sometimes to find the time to just sit down quietly and, right. uh, and listen to um, radio shows and, mm-hmm. and interesting podcasts. But uh, travel time is a great one. A lot of folks going to be on the road. Maybe you're doing some New Year's cleaning. Just pop it in. We, yep. We're there. Wherever you find your podcast, we're there. And yeah. Um, you know, if there's anything there we just mentioned that piques your interest, check it out. Uh, and if there's anything that you're interested in seeing in 2022, uh, stories that you want us to, to discuss, uh, maybe some folks that you'd like for us to reach out to and interview, definitely reach out to us. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. let us know what you want to see with the show and, and we'll right. do our best to, to make it happen. Yeah, yeah. And, and so... Uh... I mean, definitely, you can leave us a voicemail. Like I said, any time you want to call the show, uh, you can leave us a voicemail at 844-899-TVLR, 844-899-8857. You can leave us a voicemail anytime, day or night, uh, if you've got ideas about what we should be doing on the show, uh, if you have questions you want us to answer, if you want us to, um, you know, you know, if, if if you want to tell us a story from your life that you think would be interesting for the audience that you'd like us to play on the air, uh, you know, the, that that's basically that's bas- that's a big part of the show is is telling worker stories and and having them actually on the radio as well uh, with us to tell those stories themselves. So, and you know, on that note, I gotta say it's been cool to have um, some. Call- callers over mm-hmm. over the course of this year um very old school am radio almost uh, yeah, yeah. in that way uh but we've got a few seasoned uh unionists in the area um mm-hmm. who definitely have a lot of years on us and a lot of experience on us and they like to call in uh, yeah and just uh shoot the bull tell us what's on their mind and that's pretty cool yeah, yeah. I definitely do not be do not hesitate to call while we're on the air either. We love getting live calls, and we love uh, we love talking to folks. Now, whether or not I can uh, put you through on the air correctly right, right, <laughs> without right. technical glitches is another question. Uh, but yeah, we love the participation. <laughs> definitely, I've got some tentative plans for 2022. Over the next year, we are going to, of course, of course, continue covering the. Uh, minor strike um, and keeping in touch with the connections that we've made down there and following it to its hopeful, uh, hopefully a good resolution soon in 2022 because I know they've been on strike for nine months now. That is that is tough for anybody and uh, you know, we're definitely rooting for them. I know that everybody listening is as well and so we're going to be keeping up with them and letting y'all know what's going on and even how how you can help. I know that there are a lot of people in the in the audience that are union members and and, and so you know consider having your local donate to their strike fund is one way that you can help or go down there yourself, bring them a pizza, something like that. Um, also, like I mentioned, we're gonna be really, uh, staying hot on the trail of the Amazon campaign. Uh, that is, there's going to be a new election in the spring, and I, 
you know, I've, I've got the cell phone number of the lead organizer for the for the campaign. We're going to be talking with them, talking about ways that we can get their message out um, and talking about ways that we can help as union members ourselves. Um, and I am really looking forward to the Labor Notes conference. What I want to do is try to set up, try to see if we can't get some other union podcasts or radio shows to do like a radio row kind of thing you know like at a lot of these at a lot of these like the super bowl yeah yeah (laughs) like at at the super bowl or like at the rnc or the dnc you know there's always like this line of like radio shows uh am talk radio hosts that come and do their do their shows live from dc or wherever and i think that would be really cool to have just a bunch of like union folks uh doing the same thing at a union convention i think that would be really cool. yeah i'll second that motion gonna see what we can do there uh but but definitely we're, we're i would be surprised if we don't go um just because that's so our uh <laughs> that's so in our lane for sure absolutely um, and i've always wanted to go and you know something's popped up like every time uh that i came close so right uh definitely looking forward to it And we're going to go to a break and listen to a word from our sponsors. You're listening to the Valley Labor Report with Adam Keller and Jacob Morrison. Support for this program also comes from the Iron Workers, Local 477. So if you are looking for contractors with lower than average EMR and TRIR, uh, they tell me that if you need to know what those mean, then you will. Uh, or if you need to supplement a workforce at any level for any amount of time, short or long term, if you need iron workers that come trained and certified at no extra cost, or if you need workers from superintendent down to general laborer and you're looking to start work on a project or you're unhappy with your current contractor situation you need to call my friend Jeb Miles with the Ironworkers Local 477. They only work with the best in the business vetted contractors and can do all kinds of jobs from roofing to steel and bridge erection from welding to heavy rigging from structural repairs to machinery alignment and much more. They supply manpower on four of the five largest projects in North Alabama so you know they're legit. If you need good quality, safe, efficient, diligent, and knowledgeable workers on your job, then you need the Iron Workers Local 477. Call Jeb Miles at 256-383-3334 or via email at local477 at bellsouth.net and make sure you tell them that you heard about them on the Valley Labor Report. Work sucks, we know, but you can make it better by organizing with your fellow workers. For more information, call or text the Huntsville Industrial Workers of the World at 256-651-6707. Support for the Valley Labor Report comes from the International Federation of Professional and Technical Engineers Union. Learn more by visiting www.ifpte.org. Support for this program comes from the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 136, out of Central Alabama. Learn more at IBEW136.org. 
The attorneys of Maples, Tucker, and Jacobs are proud to represent working people in Alabama and across the Southeast. They have over 100 years of experience representing injured workers in workers' compensation, personal injury, and disability claims. Let their attorneys help you when you get injured on the job. You can find them at www.mtandj.com or 855-617-9333. Let Maples, Tucker, and Jacobs help you when you get injured on the job. Again, the website is www.mtandj.com or the phone number 855-617-9333. No representation is made that the quality of legal services is greater than the quality of legal services from other law firms. There's a lot of talk about a shortage of workers, but that's not the case with IBW558. We have provided our customers over 3,000 workers and performed over 3 million man hours in a pandemic year. With 8,000 OJT hours, 900 classroom hours, OSHA 30, and a state license, our members receive the equivalent of a master's degree. That's what makes IBW558 the right choice for your electrical needs. Look us up at Facebook or at IBW558.org. North Alabama DSA is looking for folks to work for a better North Alabama. They prioritize mutual aid, municipal activism, and union solidarity. Contact them on social media or dsanorthalabama at gmail for more information. IBW558 is like a great football team. You've got to have the aptitude, skills, and knowledge to outperform the competition. If you're a non-union electrician, now is the perfect time to get off the sideline and join our team. We have the absolute best wages and benefit package in North Alabama and Southern Tennessee. It's because our team stands together, bargains together, and our families benefit from it. With immediate openings, you have the opportunity to see why the IBW is the right choice. You're listening to the Valley Labor Report with David Story and Jacob Morrison. Alabama's only union talk radio show. My name is Jacob Morrison. This is the Valley Labor Report. My co-host and fellow agitator is Adam Keller, and we are back. Uh, so Adam has uh, prepared a short list of some of the big losses in 2000 and 2021, especially as it relates to organized labor. So Adam, I'll let you go ahead and take that away. Sure. I want to start with Richard Trumka because I think that's the uh, probably the biggest name uh, folks may uh, recall. Uh, Richard Trumka, he came up through the mine workers, uh, UMWA, and he served as a president of the UMWA throughout the 80s and 90s. Um, he was elevated to the secretary general of the AFL-CIO uh, back in, uh, let's see here, in the mid-90s to up through 2009, uh, actually. In 2009 is when he was elected as the president of the AFL-CIO, and he served in that capacity uh, until he passed away earlier this year in 2021. And, uh, you know, was uh, certainly a one of the most prominent leaders in the labor movement in the United States. Um, you know, we... Back when uh, he passed, uh, we talked a little bit uh, about his legacy, um, and we 
uh, really drew a lot of inspiration from Connor Lewis uh, in a piece he wrote uh, on Strike Wave. And, you know, when you're talking about a leader uh, that elevated, oftentimes you're not really talking just about that person. You're talking about the context in which mm -hmm. they were a leader um, and, and the accomplishments and defeats that happened under their term. So, you know, there's certainly been a lot to occur throughout Trump's leadership, uh, including, you know, expanded debates around police and, and mm. the extent that police should be involved in unions um, and, and how that relates to AFL-CIO. Uh, of course, the immigration debate, which has always been a, a huge uh, factor uh, inside the labor movement. And that has certainly, uh, you know, been a big uh, a big controversy, a big issue um, throughout the last decade or so that Trump was president of AFL-CIO. Can't say that, um, you know, the movement, you know, suddenly uh, turned around under his leadership. You, you can't um, can't put that all on one leader, of course. But, you know, the declines that we've seen that we mentioned earlier, uh, we are still very, very far from the peak of the labor movement, uh, whether it's the militancy of the 30s or the just, you know, the huge share of the workforce that we had up through the 70s. Right. So a lot of those uh, those issues still persist, and now it's going to be interesting to see what happens next uh, in this leadership transition. I know Liz Schuler is the president, I guess, interim. Is that right? Um, you know, I, I've heard yes. some discussions um, about Sarah Nelson, a uh, very prominent leader with the flight attendants, Mm -hmm. um, as a possible uh, replacement or, you know, a possible new um, new leader that could come in. So we'll see. Uh, anytime you have someone who's been in charge for over a decade uh, suddenly pass away, you're going to have some, you know, some changes in the institution. Right. Yeah. I mean, the the Liz Shuler and the people that have have taken over, you know, I, I there certainly isn't, to my mind, a, a marked you know, change in policy priorities or anything right. like that uh, from the Trumpka administration. But uh, representationally, it, it, it is pretty interesting. We've got the first uh, female uh, president of the National AFL-CIO and the first uh, black secretary treasurer of the AFL-CIO in Fred Redman so, from the United Steelworkers. So that's, you know, that's not nothing, certainly. Right. Uh, and, and it is, you know... Uh, while of course representation is not everything, um, it, it's it is important that our institutions and our organizations be representative of the people that we're supposed to represent, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, so that's good. Absolutely. Uh, a couple of others that I wanted to mention. Uh, one would be James Lowen. Uh, James Lowen was a historian and a sociologist and an author, and uh, if you know any of his works, it's probably his most famous one, which is Lies My Teacher Told Me, Everything Your Textbooks Got Wrong. Um, it was uh, a book that, for me, was uh, very inspirational, something that resonated uh, with me as a teenager, as just a, you know, a history nerd, someone who was fascinated with it. Um, you know, as I grew older and started to you know, see some things that were a little inconsistent uh, between the facts and, you know, what we're often led to believe in, in the media and just sort of public narrative. And Lowen really um, 
did a fantastic job. This book came out in the 90s. Uh, but what he did was really dissect some of the most prominent textbooks used in history classrooms across the country. Um, and he looked at the bias there and he looked at, uh, you know, what's left out in, in our histories, uh, the uh, the bias in terms of, you know, whose stories are told and whose aren't um, and how you're supposed to feel about it. Uh, and despite what some folks in right wing media would lead you to believe, uh, there is no vast uh, left wing indoctrination network happening inside of our textbook publishers. Right. I can assure you that Pearson uh, is interested in making a profit, uh, not necessarily enlightening the next generation. Hmm. So uh, if you're interested in history at all or just some of the debates around education and the bias that happens, uh can't recommend that enough. Lies my teacher told me. Uh, he also did some work around uh, historical markers. He traveled all over the country and looked at those, you know, little square rectangle uh, historical markers you see uh, from time to time and looked at, well, how much BS is thrown in uh, oftentimes with those markers. And uh, of course, we've had a lot of debates uh, in subsequent years around Confederate monuments and things like that. Uh, but highly recommend that. Uh, Big loss, James Lowen. Um, and, you know, interesting thing about him is that he actually wrote a history textbook himself um, in the, you know, uh, aftermath of Jim Crow as schools were in the process of integration in Mississippi. He wrote a Mississippi history textbook. Uh, and surprise, surprise, it pissed off all the wrong people. Right. Uh, it got him in some, some court fights. Uh, so the man knew his history and he also knew his textbooks and uh, played a big role in my development as a hist- history person and an educator. Um, along those same lines, someone that uh, I'm only recently pretty familiar with is Stanley Aronowitz. Um, I, I'd had a couple of his books on my bookshelf for years, uh, but it really wasn't until this year that I, I explored Stanley Aronowitz and, and who he was and what he was about. And uh, he also passed away this year, 2021, um, was born in 1933. He was with us for a long time. He uh, was a, a rank and file factory worker back in the 50s. Uh, and then got involved in various unions and uh, campaigns throughout the 50s and 60s and uh, ultimately became kind of a scholar. You know, when these, one of these folks in the labor movement who's a scholar, he's an activist, an organizer, he's kind of done it all, been on all sides of it. Um, and he most recently was um, up in New York University he was given uh, an award, uh, the Working Class Life's Lifetime Achievement Award uh, for the Center for Study of Working Class Life uh, at Stony Brook University. So that's, you know, there you go. That's uh, kind of a testament to what he was about. Uh, and the most, uh, I'm not sure if it's technically his last published work, uh, but really his last big one. Uh, It's called The Death and Life of American Labor Towards a New Workers' Movement. Uh, It's something I'm uh, in the middle of reading right now. And he takes a look at the big picture that we've sort of been alluding to today Mm. in this episode. Uh, The peak of labor, the decline of labor in the past five decades or so, 
and what that all means and what the uh, future holds and how do we rebuild this. Hmm. Uh, he's He argues basically that that movement is, is over uh, and what the stage we're in right now is building something new. Um, and uh, I think a lot like us on this show, he's someone who... Uh, despite being, you know, 100%, 110% diehard union, is also willing to uh, engage in critique of unions as institutions and uh, where sometimes leaders and institutions fall short in terms of the goals we have as a broader movement and as a working class. So uh, shout out Stanley Aronowitz. Rest in peace. Uh, appreciate the work he did. Uh if you're interested in, if we haven't plugged enough people and authors and uh, resources <laughs> yeah. today, there's someone else to add to your your list. Um, a little closer to home, uh, also want to mention Emmett Jamar, who passed away um, not too long ago here in 2021. Um, those of you on WZZA probably um, know him quite well, know him personally. Um, you may have heard our tribute to him, so I won't go through all that again, but uh, Emmett was a longtime activist, organizer, educator, uh, elected official in Northwest Alabama. He was uh, of that generation that helped defeat Jim Crow and uh, build a educators movement here in the state of Alabama. So uh, if you missed our discussion of Emmett that was a little more detailed uh, check it out on YouTube hmm. um, certainly a legend here in the local labor, labor movement uh, to close uh, I think we'd be remiss not to mention uh, the many folks we have lost throughout the past year as a result of COVID and as a result mm-hmm. of you know our system uh, including poverty and the lack of health care incarceration um, at least as of November, we have, looks like, uh, almost around 400,000 deaths reported this year uh, due to COVID, uh, which is more than uh, what we experienced last year in the United States, about 385,000. Um, you know, so a lot of folks, including many of you listening, probably know someone uh, who lost their life as a result of COVID um, or has been impacted in some way. Uh, and it's a shame that our government and our uh, employers have just been so insufficient in rising to the crisis and meeting the needs of our humanity. Um, so I want to send my best to all those who have lost loved ones, all those who are struggling uh, as a result of COVID. And of course, as I mentioned, they're unsung and, and unreported uh, every year are folks who are suffering and, and losing their lives as a result of our, you know, screwed up system and our screwed up economy. And yeah. people who are choosing between food and medicine, people who are having to live on the streets, uh, people who are unjustly locked in cages. Uh, and brutalized by state security forces. And, you know, they don't, of course, that's not phrased that way. That only, we only say it that way when it's other countries. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, anytime we, we end the year, it's a good time to reflect. Uh, so doing some reflection myself, reflecting on those we've lost, uh, those titans of the labor movement, 
those uh, everyday people like you and I struggling to make it in the world and mm-hmm. um, looking ahead to 2022 and, and how we can build a better world that is certainly possible, but only if we fight for it. Yeah. Well, and, and the, uh, you know, I mean, with with the COVID deaths, it is certainly important to point out that it didn't have to be, you know, this bad. Uh, countries with comparable wealth uh, have half, you know, the, the death rate that we had. Um, and even countries with n- nowhere near the comparable wealth. I mean, like Honduras had a death per million rate of 1,000. And our death per million rate was 2,458 as of now. Uh, that's a what roughly about how many people died on 911 uh, yeah if I'm remembering that right and so that's, that's per a, million that that's per right. million and yeah. and and uh, you know I mean there are so many other places that that have you know I mean Norway has had 230 per million 230 where we've had literally 10 times that um you know it, it's just even India, where we saw a huge spike um, a while ago, it's their death per million rate is 344. You know, so it, basically, it didn't have to be be that way. And the same for the people that are lost to poverty and um, and incarceration every year. I mean, poverty has never been so underscored as a choice um, as when. We cut childhood poverty in half with the child tax credit, and now the Democrats are just deciding to let that to let that go. Or Joe Manchin specifically, um, he's deciding to double childhood poverty, um, but by not passing, not extending the child tax credit. Um, you know that really underscores. You know that was a choice that people made to do the child tax credit, give families 300 per month for every child that they have that was a choice that we made and it cut child poverty in half think about how many people's lives were made better than that and how many people's lives are going to be made worse than that uh once it expires in january and we haven't done anything about it um and the uh uh and and incarceration as well i mean our incarceration rates are off the charts and you know the people that justify our incarceration rates uh you know they they'll say things like you know soft on crime soft on crime but to believe that our society is made better by throwing people in cages uh for petty crimes is just not backed up by the data and it's only justified by believing that american people alabamians are somehow worse like a fundamentally worse type of people than people in like China or, (laughs) or Norway or, you know, like, like we're just worse people. And so we deserve to be locked up. And sadly, I think there are folks who believe that and there's certainly, they believe it about certain types of people. Right. Uh, You know, and, and I'm sure they're, they're willing to share that depending on who's around uh, when they're having that conversation. So we have been talking about the last year in the labor movement. Let's round out this show with a segment that we do every week, last week in Southern Labor. All right. 
This is a segment where we talk about what happened in the last week in the labor movement in the South, courtesy of Jonah Furman, who does a newsletter where he does this for the entire United States every week. He compiles what happens in the labor movement in the U.S. every week. You can get that in your inbox at whogetsthebird.substack.com. Whogetsthebird.substack.com. Let's go right into it. So first off, the board reviewed a decision from this summer barring a smaller unit of skilled trades workers at Nissan's Smyrna, Tennessee plant from organizing their own union as opposed to a union that includes all 4,000 workers at the plant. Um, and, and, and so you know, they had like 87 tool and die workers that wanted to form a union with the machinists uh, as opposed to doing a wall-to-wall union, they just right. wanted a—they just wanted a union for this one small department. And so, this could be the first step to uh, returning to quote-unquote micro units, which is a practice that was overturned by the Trump Labor Board. Um, micro units is is you know exactly what it sounds like. It, it, it's units that are small in size and only cover one department in a workplace as opposed to being wall to wall. Now, of course, a wall to wall union is more powerful than a micro unit, but as a way to get in the door of an employer, if there's one department that is maybe more interested in unionizing or or more amicable to the idea, you could get in there and maybe make some gains for them. And, and you know, it's, it's a way to get, get your foot in the door and, and then, also, you know, you've got these strategic questions about are micro units good? Are they not good? Um, that's not for the boss to decide. Right. Is that's that is the drawing line? That's like the big red line in the sand there. That it doesn't matter what the boss thinks, because as the National Labor Relations Act lays out, unions are independent, self-organized, self-constructed organizations of workers, and it doesn't matter what the boss thinks because unions are our thing. And if we decide that we want to form a union in one department as opposed to the whole company, then the boss can go pound sand. At least that's the way it should be, right? (laughs) Yeah, that's the way that it should be. Um, In some new organizing, 60 Steve Doors for Tropical Shipping USA and Riviera Beach, Florida are organizing with the International Longshoremen Association, ILA Local 1359-1860. Uh, 113 nonprofit staffers at Leadership for Educational Equity in D.C. narrowly voted to join the machinists, 51 to 42. And he mentions here that although he hasn't seen the official NLRB filings, the Starbucks organizing wave has now spread to Knoxville, Tennessee. In strikes and bargaining, the 1,400 Strong BCTGM strikers are back to work at Kellogg's in Omaha, Nebraska, Memphis, Tennessee, Lancaster, Pennsylvania, and Battle Creek, Michigan, having ratified the company's latest offer. Uh, and this is why he tries not to make predictions, <laughs> because in the in the last week he predicted that it was going to be voted down. Uh, though it does sound like the vote is close. For the American prospect, Jared Facundo, 
reports that leaders of the Battle Creek local were dismayed by the ratification. And uh, whether you chalk it up to actually sufficient improvements for a majority of the workers or fear of being replaced or exhaustion from a three-month strike, the strike is now over. UMWA miners at Warrior Met in Brookwood, Alabama, spent Christmas on strike. For Labor Notes, Louise Feliz Leon covered how they're keeping up the fight, and Kim Kelly and More Perfect Union headed down to Alabama to talk to the strikers. You can watch that video at More Perfect Union. Uh, and the 450 Steelworkers Local 40 strikers in Huntington, West Virginia, took Christmas off from the picket line, but the strike against special medals continues, and the two sides still sound like they're very far apart. The contract standoff that uh, we've been updating you every week during this segment about the Steelworkers Local 8888's 12,000 or so members at the Huntington Ingalls Shipyard in Newport News, Virginia, is now at the stage where the company and the union are disputing the actual math of the contract in the local press. The union is saying the offer on the table is a less than 12% raise over five years, while the company says it's 24. That... <laughs> That's a big difference. Yeah. Uh, somebody's <laughs> got to be right and somebody's got to be wrong there. Right. Uh, I'm inclined to, to believe the union personally. Yeah, I, I would. After some uh, contentious negotiations and informational picketing, Unite Here Local 25 members at Colonial Williamsburg in Williamsburg, Virginia, have ratified a contract which includes, and get this, up to... 48% raises. Wow. A 48% raise. Yeah. Let's see you get that without a union. That's <laughs> that's the takeaway there. Very cool to see that. Uh, I, yes. I remember going to Colonial Williamsburg as like a fifth grader on a school mm -hmm. field trip. And so, uh, yeah, it warms my heart to know that all those folks who put that on and, and try to welcome families and students from across the country, they yeah. now have a union and they're winning a big raise. Yeah, it, it is very, very cool. Um, and then finally, in some politics related to labor in the South, in response to Joe Manchin's announcement that he will not be supporting the Build Back Better bill, Joe Biden's signature omnibus legislation, the United Mine Workers of America came out with a statement in strong support of the bill calling on Manchin to reconsider. That's a big deal uh, because Joe Manchin obviously comes from West Virginia and the United Mine Workers of America have been a very strong supporter of Joe Manchin. They have a very close relationship. And so for them to come out with a statement really publicly chastising him like that is that's you know that is a big deal uh, and i think that's a big deal specifically for joe manchin as you know somebody who wants to say that he he's you know an advocate for coal miners and things like this specifically yeah. the union highlighted the need for the continued black lung benefits paid by coal companies um and, and this is this is crazy uh because this bill isn't going to be passed, um, the provisions for coal companies to pay into the black lung, 
Black Lung Benefits Fund is going to now be paid by taxpayers instead of coal companies, which is insane. And and I didn't realize that either. So, uh, I mean, obviously, this is a huge piece of legislation. Um, You know, uh, our Congress is so dysfunctional to the point where basically only one thing can pass a year. Right. (laughs) Absent a filibuster and, well, hell, you know, there's hardly anything you can get through the filibuster. So, They, they're looking at just cramming everything into one piece of legislation, which is now, you know, on the ropes. Uh, surprise, surprise, Joe Manchin strung everyone along. Right, right. You know, who could have possibly predicted that? Right. Yeah. And I mean, the, the you know, just really quick, because I, I do, I, I hear some, you know, political media talking about the filibuster, the filibuster, the filibuster. The filibuster is a choice. Right. That these people are making to not pass legislation like it's not in the constitution it's not even a law it's just rules of the senate that these people choose just like the parliamentarian the parliamentarian is not even and it's so frustrating people allowing this mystification of this process the parliamentarian is not even an advisor she just like recommends things to the president of the senate kamala harris and they choose or not to follow that advice. Like there's no, there's nothing laid out for a parliamentary. Like there's no, that they're not elected. There's nothing. It, it's just, it's, this is all made up nonsense and, and they don't, and, and it's a decision is the main thing. It's a decision to, to not do this. Um, it's, uh, the union also specifically highlighted investment in what sound like green transitional industries for displaced coal miners and proact type language, which is very important because uh, the Build Back Better bill increases penalties for unfair labor practices and actually puts penalties, on, uh, allows the NLRB to levy fines for unfair labor practices, which they don't have the ability to do right now. Um, and and this is, and I think that, I, I really do think that the people, especially in the labor movement and on the, you know, Democrat side of the aisle have, I mean, they have to have some mud on their face for allowing the infrastructure bill to go through without Build Back Better because um, this is what the people were saying. This is what the people who voted against the infrastructure bill were saying was going to happen, was that if you pass the infrastructure bill, if you give up this leverage, if you give them what they want here, we're not going to get what we need with this other stuff. And that's why it was so frustrating to see the national AFL-CIO come out in favor of that strategy because... Uh, they were so, so strong on the PRO Act, getting the PRO Act passed. Uh, so strong, in fact, that they came, people from the National Federation came to the Alabama AFL-CIO convention and threatened to unendorse U.S. Senator Doug Jones because he was not a co-sponsor of the PRO Act, um, even though he was going to lose his election no matter what they did, even though it didn't matter what he did because it was a Republican Senate, so the PRO Act wasn't going to pass whether he was a co-sponsor or not. And, uh, you know, I mean, it just, it just doesn't make sense to go that far for a superficial thing, and then you're like, you've got it actually within your grasp, and then endorse a strategy that's going to allow it to get killed. It was very frustrating to me. President Cecil Roberts also called on Manchin to support voting rights protections. So... Very good stuff. Yeah, I was I was pleased to see uh, UMWA come out with that statement because, like you said, they're usually pretty tight to uh, Joe Manchin. So 
Uh, I think that's good. And, and like I said, there was, I was not aware of some of those uh, benefits that were tied right. up into this legislation. So um, there's a lot there that could help ordinary working people. Right. Don't forget to donate. Don't we forget have, to we donate. Have the donation going right now. That's right. That's right. Unionly.io slash O slash TVLR. Unionly.io slash O slash TVLR. Have you got anything specifically that, that that I haven't mentioned that you're wanting to do in the new year, Adam? No, I, I'm just uh, you know thankful to make it another year. <laughs> I hope everyone had a Merry Christmas, um, you know, and, and a good holiday season uh, thus far, and hopefully it continues. Uh, wishing everybody a, a happy new year. Hopefully, 2022 is going to be much much better than 2021 for all of us um i think it's going to be a a good year for labor Mm. um it's going to be an interesting year uh politically and um yeah just uh sending my love and solidarity to all of those who uh could not be at home to celebrate the holidays because Mm. they were working or incarcerated or or whatever the circumstances may be um and just wishing everyone the best yep That'll be it for us then. Have a happy new year, everybody, and form a union. Absolutely. (laughs) This has been the Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison. My co-host is Adam Keller. You can find us online everywhere. And remember that labor creates all wealth, and all wealth should go to labor. Have a happy new year, everybody. (laughs) 